Um, James chapter 3, we're, we're, we're still in verses uh, 1 through 12. So we're going to read that, and then uh, we'll, we'll get into it. So James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image and likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. All right. As we work through James, through this letter that he's written to the churches in the, in the, in the dispersion, who are not in Jerusalem, they're scattered abroad. Work through this verse by verse. We've already dealt with some very pointed and very difficult truths. And it seems like James is showing no sign of letting up on those pointed and difficult truths. There is a way of righteousness. Jesus teaches us this in the Sermon on the Mount. And now James comes and teaches us this is what that looks like. This is what that way looks like. Already he's challenged us to rejoice in our suffering. Way at the very beginning, count it all joy, my brothers, when you, when you suffer trials of various kinds. Already he's told us that we need to lean on God for wisdom and never doubt Him. He told us to be mindful of our sin, that our sin comes from our own desires, and we're not tempted by God, you're tempted by what's in you. And that only God gives only good things. He's reminded us that our faith is dead if it doesn't have the fruit of works. And our religion, he says, is worthless if we're not careful with what we say. And with that, in chapter 3, he turns his full attention to the most unruly, untamed part of the human experience, our tongue, or specifically the things that we say. And um, taking a cue from my parents, and even when I was raising my children, not just what we say, but how we say it. You know, even the Scripture, which is holy and righteous, can be used in a hateful way. Amen. Amen. So not just what we say, but how we say it. And James 
goes full bore at it. In verse 1 of chapter 3, it looks like he turns his attention to, um, directly to those who would be teachers. He says, Not many of you, my brothers, should be teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So we covered that in some detail last time. James, he has a, a particularly urgent warning for anyone who would teach the Word of God. And, you know, Jesus, since he calls us to be disciple makers, and that's a call that's placed on every Christian to be makers of disciples, this warning that James gives us about those who teach the word of God, it should rest on all of us with a great deal of importance. Because if we are to be disciple makers, at some point we will, we will be teachers of the word of God. Now, I don't think that James had that necessarily in mind, maybe in the periphery of his mind when he wrote that, not all of us should be teachers. I, I think that what was primarily on his mind when he wrote that was the, the, those who would take on the mantle of teaching in the congregational setting, you know, like what, what I'm doing here, preaching, teaching. Um, when he, and I think that's what he had in mind when he made the statement. But if, if you notice how he follows it up and the arguments that he gives, he applies this warning to everybody. Verse 2, he says, for, this is the basis of the warning, for we all stumble in many ways. So everybody stumbles in many ways. A bit of humility and maybe even a a bit of um, self-confession on James's part. We all have difficulties. We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone, again, talking about everybody, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's perfect. So a perfect man, if, if, you, if you can guard your tongue and keep your speech, then you're a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Clearly, he, James means to warn all of us of the dangers of an unruly tongue, a tongue that is not tamed. If you recall, in uh, chapter 2, James tells us that our faith is dead, but does not bear the fruit of works. I think his message is just as clear here as it was back there. Now he says, show me your your faith. Chapter 2, verse 18, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. In those passages, essentially, James' point, he's saying that you cannot say, I am redeemed, if there's no outward evidence of redemption. Old things have passed away. All things become new. In fact, the term born again is it's called born again because we are a new creation. We're born again. There's, there's something new in us, and that newness of life will be shown in our behavior and our love and our joy and our peace and our gentleness and goodness and meekness and self-control and faith, all of which are fruit of the Spirit, fruit of being born again. Amen. Amen. According to James... What good is it to say, I have love, if that love does not drive you to do anything? Right? Faith without works is dead. He says, what good is it if you say, be warm and be fed, if you don't give food and you don't give warmth? What good is it to say, I have love, if that love does not drive me to do anything? And of course, you know, we talked about that last time. The Apostle Paul comes at it from the the different side. And he said, "What, what good is it to do Good deeds if you don't do them with love. 
You give all, give your possessions and sell your your stuff, and you you know have your body and sacrifice and all that stuff. What good is all that if you don't do it with love? So in the same way that James tells us, you can't say I have faith if you don't have works. He teaches us your religion is worthless if you have an uncontrolled tongue. That's chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I don't want worthless religion any more than I want dead faith. If I'm going to do this, I mean, Christian life is not, I'm not, I mean, don't, don't anyone sell you a bill of goods. It's not an easy life. Amen. Amen. Oh, there's joy unspeakable. There's peace that can't be understood or explained, but it's not an easy life. I want this to mean something. I'm going to do it. I want it to matter. I want it to mean something. So James, as he does, he turns our attention squarely to the tongue, the things that we have to say. He says, make no mistake. The tongue, the things that you have to say, matters. There's a lot more to say about what we say than just what's in these 12 verses, but here is where he makes his most salient arguments about the importance and the powerful influence that our speech has in our lives. I want to show you the great power that that James shows us in the controlled tongue, the tamed tongue. He starts by showing us this power in verse 2. He says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. So you all know what a bridle is, right? right? Now watch what he does with the same imagery. You use a bridle on a horse. So if we can control the tongue, we can control the whole body in the same way, same way that verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So the control tongue, the bridled tongue, Speech that is guarded and measured and not unruly has great influence and great constructive power. Horses are very large and powerful animals, and yet they are tamed by a tiny bit. Verse 4, he uses another example. He says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now think about this. I I find this to be very encouraging imagery. Look at what he says. He says, we have these large ships, and they are driven by strong winds. Now, I don't know how many of you have been out on a large body of water, in open water, with strong winds. But when those, those things come together, what you have is choppy water. The boat is tossed to and fro because the waves tend to get high with the strong winds. The person steering the boat has to make adjustments, particularly when the winds are strong, have to make adjustments on the fly because the boat is being tossed. Strong winds on the open water, choppy, and yet the rudder directs the boat in the direction it should go. Amen. Amen. In the midst of all the strong winds and all the choppy water. Sometimes the captain, whoever's steering the boat, may have to hold the rudder with all his might to get it to go in the direction it needs to go. Sometimes it needs to ease up on it 
and not touch it. Let the boat go where, it, where the wind takes it and, and then catch hold of it and make adjustments. Now think about that in the context that James is using it in terms of speech. I, just, I think about the stormiest times of, of our lives and the, the incredibly powerful influence of the things that we say not just the things that we say to ourselves, but what we say to others. How many times has someone's words, has their words to you been like the rudder that kept you on course? Amen. Amen. During the most stormy times. You remember when the disciples were headed across the sea and the winds got real bad? The Bible says a, 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 a windstorm came. And Jesus was down in the boat and he was asleep. He wasn't worried about it. But the disciples were scared. And so they went to him and they said, Lord, don't you care that we're all going to die? And the Bible says that, that Jesus, Mark chapter 4, the end of Mark chapter 4, the Bible says that, that Jesus got up and he spoke to the wind. He rebuked the wind. And then there was great calm. So he spoke. Then there was great calm. Have you ever spoken into someone's storm and given them great calm? Has someone ever spoken into your storm and given you great calm? You ever comforted your children when they're uncertain? Don't children go through that a lot, uncertainty? They get scared about things because they don't have an understanding of the way the world works the way that you do. And so they look to us for comfort and stability. And so you speak and you speak into them great calm. Or your spouse and you speak great calm when they're struggling. Verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member and yet it boasts of great things. This is the strength and the glory of such a small thing as the tongue when it is controlled, when it is tamed. Now, James contrasts that to the out-of-control tongue. It stands in sharp contrast in the, the next few verses. Second part of verse 5, he gives a wholly different picture. He says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. Now, do you see, I mean, the previous imagery is that of control and direction and guidance. And here we have destruction. Destruction by fire, consumed. Fire destroys, that's what it does. It destroys and consumes. So in the same way that a careful, kind, gracious speech can bring great calm in the middle of a storm... Our untamed, unruly speech can set our whole lives on fire. How many families and how many marriages are destroyed because of a careless word? How many relationships are destroyed because of a careless word? Hateful speech, untamed, unruly, unkind, unbridled speech. How many fights are get started because of careless words? How many wars because of careless words? All because someone said something I think about in this day and age when your words 
especially what you put out online. And in and, and the times that we live in, everybody puts everything online. Amen. I mean, it's either recorded by somebody else or you put it out there. So your words, when the Bible said your words will not fall to the ground, I, I don't know that the biblical writers had this day and age in mind when they said that, but in a very real way, the things that you say get captured forever today. And think about, I mean, things that you said 20 years ago, even as a, a joke, come back to haunt you today. People have lost their jobs because of something they said 20 years ago. It's a joke. They've lost scholarships because of they said something 20 years ago as a, a joke. And lost credibility because they said something 20 years ago. Careless words that come out of their mouth. The tongue can set your whole life on fire and burn it to the ground. It has great influential power, the things that you say. And James said, it is set on fire by hell. Now don't, don't pass that over. That's a, that's a pretty striking statement. Amen. Proverbs 16, 27 says, A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. The unruly, untamed tongue is the fruit of hell itself. Now James is talking about speech that isn't submitted to the Holy Spirit but it's speech that acts on its own without regard for the authority and the sufficiency or the example of Christ, a tongue that is not bridled. I can say that because of what he says in verse 7. He says, for, verse 7, okay, so what is it there for? So back up, the tongue is a fire, it's set on fire by hell, for, because every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So do you, do you the tongue, it is set on fire, and it, it stains the whole body, and it sets fire to the entire course of life, is an untamed tongue. Do you, do you see the, the contrast he draws between tamed beast, beasts that are tamed by man, and, and our inability to tame the tongue? He's talking about an untamed tongue. He says this is, set on, this is a fire, a deadly fire. It's an untamed tongue. Look at all the creatures that mankind has tamed. And, and we tame them for our good and for God's glory. One of the first commandments that we're given in the Bible, the Lord said to subdue the earth. We, we, we've tamed every, every manner of beast, uh, every, all the land. We've, we've brought the land under our submission. We've built walls and dams to hold back the waters. We've even harnessed the power of the wind and the sun. But there was one thing that we cannot tame, and that is our own tongue. Not in our own power. Verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. In Matthew 15, 18, Jesus warned us. He said, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. What's in your heart comes out your mouth, and that's what makes you defiled. That's what James is getting at. The tongue will set your whole life on fire. We see how it takes shape back in James, in, chapter, in verse 9, he says, With it, with the tongue, this restless evil that's full of deadly poison, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. So out of the same mouth, you say, I love the Lord, and then you turn around and speak evil of your brother or your sister. Things like, gossip, and slander. Now, James puts it as a curse. That's not the same thing as critical speech. There's a, a little bit of nuance there. 
Um, if James meant to include all kinds of negative or critical speaking, then we would not have a righteous way of warning others about their sin. Okay? So that's not what James means by, by cursing. He's talking about the sinful ways of, of talking about other people like gossip and slander. And there are other ways of cursing, like, I mean, the actual cursing, like uh, you would think of like a witch cursing. But I don't think that's a problem that besets most of us is witchcraft. Um, I think a problem that besets most of us are these, these things that we might call little or subtle, but they're not little at all because they set the whole life on fire, gossip and slander. And you may think, oh, I don't ever slander some, I don't ever slander. But, you know, slander is, a, the definition of it is a false, malicious statement about someone else to, to damage their credibility or damage their, to damage them. So you're talking about someone, and I, I promise you, you don't know all the details. So you're thinking, oh, I've never lied about them, but you're saying something as truth and you don't have all the truth. So you're probably guilty of slander a whole lot more than you think it. So James is talking about these things that easily beset us, set the whole life on fire because of an unruled, unbridled tongue. There seems to be a running theme. James says, my brothers, this ought not to be so. We shouldn't have blessings and cursings coming from the same mouth. So there seems to be a, a running theme throughout this, these 12 verses as it relates to our inability to manage this. Back in verse 2, James says, if you can manage this, if you can bridle your tongue and you don't, you don't, you don't um, get, step, get out of step with your tongue, you're a perfect person. You can bridle the whole body. And then in verse 8, what does he say about it? He says, no one, no human being can tame the tongue. Your King James probably says, no man can tame the tongue. The word is anthropos. It's where we get our literary term for anthropomorphosis or anthropomorphize. Um, that, that means to, to humanize something, to ascribe human qualities or human traits to something that is not normally human. If we anthropomorphize something, then we're talking about it as if it has human qualities. So the word means human, the, the created being that is man. That's what, that's what the word there means. And so I think the ESV is correctly translating it when it says human being because it makes a distinction. This isn't just some generic placeholder for everyone. It is every human one. And that, that's important. It's an important distinction, I think, because James is clear, we can't do this. Verse 8, no human being can do this. If we could, we'd be perfect. But that man was Jesus. In Matthew 12, 36, Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Every careless word. How can we possibly stand on that day if I have to give an account for every careless word? If you think, I don't know, well, good, because you're right. I mean, I, the fact is we can't. But Christ does. Christ does. Our inability is Jesus' total ability. That's why Paul was able to say, I will rejoice, therefore, in my weakness, because when I am weak, Christ is made strong. Amen. Philippians 2 Chapter 9, therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, 
and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Verse 11, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus brings the tongue, that unruly thing that no man can tame, under submission. Do you see that? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. He brings even the most unruly thing, that little thing that boasts great power, under submission. In the last couple of verses, verses 11 and 12, James seems to be telling us that there is a, a distinction between the work of the human man through the flesh and the work of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So a salt pond cannot yield fresh water. The person who is submitted to Christ cannot be characterized by unruly, untamed speech. Or, let me turn it around, if you are characterized by unruly, untamed speech, you cannot say, I am submitted to Christ. Remember the, the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Speech that is submitted to the Lordship of Christ is peppered by those things. If those things are in us at all, won't they come out in what we say and how we say it? If love is in you at all, won't it come out in what you say and how you say it? If kindness is in you at all, won't it come out in what you say? If patience is in you at all, won't it come out in maybe what you don't say? Didn't Jesus say that what's in the heart comes out of the mouth? There's a wise old adage, garbage in, garbage out. And I, I find the Apostle Paul has some helpful advice for us here on, on how to get our tongue and our speech under control. In Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the word of Christ, listen to his words, Let, listen to his, his instruction. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So this is speech now. The Word dwells in you richly, the Word of Christ. Now teach one another and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen. I find it that it's the most important thing that I can do to tame my tongue and as James said, no human being can tame the tongue. So I'm sure that I'm not alone when I tell you I fail in this miserably often. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. 
the best thing I can do, the most important thing I can do to tame the tongue so that I can use it for the glory of God is to fill my heart with what God has spoken through His Word and to allow His Word to live richly in me. So that when I speak, when I teach, when it comes time for me to say anything, it comes out of my mouth in all wisdom, in praises, in words that are glorifying to the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, let his word come alive in you. Let him live with you, in you, richly. So much so that when you speak, your words are characterized by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They're loving and kind and gentle and gracious and and patient and self-controlled. That's why it's so important that you be under a ministry of the word where the scriptures are taught carefully and with grace and love of the Holy Spirit. There's something miraculous that happens in the, the preaching moment. There's a miraculous grace that God sends through this ordinary foolish thing that we do called preaching. There's a miraculous grace that causes men to believe. A miraculous grace that opens the eyes of the blind. And it brings our thinking and our affections into conformity with the image of Christ. Too many Christians, they fall into the trap of believing that God gives us salvation, but then he just kind of leaves us to our own devices to figure the rest of it out, to figure out the rest of life. He has given us everything that is needed for life and godliness in his word. And so we need to see that we uh, need to live by the word. What did Jesus say to the devil when the devil tempted him with bread? Man does not live by bread, but by every word. We need to see that we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The words that he has revealed to us in, in his holy scriptures. God's word sanctifies us. It will cleanse the thoughts of our hearts and purify the words of our mouth. And I'll, I'll close with uh, this quote from Sinclair Ferguson. He says, The more I start my days by feeding myself with the word, and the more I am saturated with the word under biblical teaching, the more the word of Christ will do the sanctifying work in me and on me, and consequently, the more Christ will train my tongue as his word molds and shapes me. Back in Colossians, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let us train our tongues. Tame the tongue by the Holy Spirit because of the completed work of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We love you. It's a challenging word for us today. It's a challenging admonition you've given us through your apostle, Lord, to tame the thing that is most unruly. But God, we know that you have given us everything that we need in your word. You have given us power by your Holy Spirit. You bear fruit in us by your Holy Spirit, the fruit of kindness, the fruit of graciousness, the fruit of love and joy and peace. Father, I ask that you rest upon us and let us be peppered in our speech with those things, Lord. Let us put away all malice and, and gossip and slander. 
from the things that we say. Let our speech glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray.